1: well good morning gang and welcome to new southern garden i hope you have not forgotten about me because i i've been missing you for the past couple of weeks of course i should have mentioned this three weeks ago on the last program we've had but this is the autumn season the fall season and of course, the fall season is not just the best time to plant your shrubs and trees and perennials and all that. No, it's also it's also college football time. <laughs> and so, of course, we have not been together because we've had some ball games, some early ball games. So, just as a reminder, and I try to do this every fall season, I just didn't catch it in time. We will not have new Southern Garden programs on those days which the University of Georgia's football team is playing an early game, all right? (laughs) Now, you know, we've got to have football, right? We've got to have it. It's as American as gardening itself. But if on those particular Saturdays, you find yourself longing for other kind of discussion, like planting pansies and growing fall vegetables digging holes and getting your hands dirty well of course you can listen to new southern garden on demand every saturday of every month as a matter of fact every day of every month and every hour of every day at newsoutherngarden.com. that's the show's website and of course in addition to being online at com, our program is also on the podcasting apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, etc., etc. Just find your favorite app and give it a listen, especially on those days when I won't be with you. <laughs> but of course, we've got a few weeks until another early UGA football game, and we're going to talk all things gardening. Now, We need to pick up where we left off in September, because it was September when we last talked. We were talking, or we were getting close to the end of the month. And of course, the end of the month here on New Southern Garden is when we answer your questions. We go to our mailbag, our mailbox, and our email inbox, whatever, and we grab the questions that you've sent us, and so we are behind answering last month's questions, but you know folks, there is no better time than the present, let's do it today, so we've got a big show for you, we've got some questions actually from far away. We've got questions from Louisiana who's listening on the podcast and Kentucky who's listening on the podcast. So we're going to talk a little bit about fall vegetables, uh, beets, which of course we did do a couple of shows about planting fall vegetables a few weeks ago and uh, we did not talk about beets. So it's very timely that this question was submitted this month so we can at least discuss beets. Now depending on what part of the world or Part of the country you're listening in, part of the South you're listening in, I should say, you may or may not be able to sow beets right away. I think most of the South could, though, and especially this question from Louisiana, where it's probably nice and warm, nice and warm. Well, heck, I mean, we've had how much much nice weather this week? If you, talking about weather, we should mention that. Talking about weather, it's been generally warm in the 70s, right, here in the uh, Northeast Georgia mountains, but it's also been... Dry? No, 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 no. It has been quite very wet. I mean, I think we have probably accumulated more rainfall just in the past week than we have all year long. I know, like, I stopped counting at four inches, and that was like two days worth, maybe. We are saturated, gang. Our soils are wet up here in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. They are wet, they are moist, and so I should mention that if you want to get out this weekend and do some planting, just make sure that your soil has drained well. Usually, it takes about 24 hours after the last rainfall for your soil to drain fairly well. Now, of course, there probably will be sites and areas where your soil is saturated and stays saturated. And now is a great time to determine if you happen to have wet spots. In Your landscape, you know, it's difficult over summer when we tend to be more dry to find wet spots in the landscape. But if you are looking to plant in certain areas that have or stay saturated for longer than 24 hours. You either need to re, um, readjust the site in such a way that you're adding soil on top, creating mounded beds that you can plant regular landscape plants in. But if you want to embrace what Mother Nature is giving you, uh, that saturated soil, if you want to embrace that, then you do need to select from plants that may not be very common in everyday landscapes, but plants that can handle boggy sites. Bog plants, uh, rain garden plants, plants that can go through periods of dry but also can handle periods of very wet. Because we will talk a little bit later today in the program when we answer uh, some questions about transplanting plants over winter. We will talk about wet soil and I just want to remind you that wet soil is primarily a problem over winter. Okay, know that the the moisture level level, the moisture level in the soil is much higher in the wintertime than in the summertime, which is sort of a battle we have to deal with here in the south. Right. Because in the south, we have generally warm summers and mild winters and can drop pretty cool, definitely below freezing. But regardless, wet, cold soil is tough to deal with. And that's the problem we have over the winter. But on the other hand, what is our battle? Dry, hot weather (laughs) in the summer. If we had a happy medium, right, where we had fairly dry soils over winter while it's cool, and we had, you know, uh, warm temperatures in the summer with wet soil, oh, plants would grow amazingly. But unfortunately, winter is our wet season, And we tend to have wetter soil. So, October, this is very unusual. Okay, because just a general statement, October is generally our area's driest month. The driest month of the year is October, generally, historically speaking. But already, we've just had, you know, nine days or so, I guess. (laughs) Nine days, today's the ninth of October. And it's probably been the wettest month of the year. But we shall see what happens in the next 21 days or so, 22 days, if I'm doing my math right. So we've got a you know good portion of the month to go. Will it be dry? Will it be wet? It's already been very wet, especially this entire week. I'll tell you folks, I have just absolutely been uh, disappointed by all this wet weather. Oh, because of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week, we're outside all day long. And so to have every day on rain, off rain, on rain, off rain, just somebody's flipping a switch up there. I guess the good Lord knows what we need, so he's giving it to us. But regardless, they're flipping a switch, turn it on, it gets a little annoying. And another thing that's been annoying about the weather is that, uh, well, we do need to catch up since I haven't been with you for a couple of weeks. Um... Since we last talked, I, I guess my, my, uh, my, my little baby, Eden Rose, she's not much of a baby anymore. She just turned two. And so even though she turned two in September, we're having her party uh, this weekend. And so all of this past week with this rain being on and off, uh, it started Saturday, I guess, Saturday, Sunday. Well, I've been putting together her two-year-old birthday surprise, and that is a playset. So if you happen to see her uh, before the party this weekend, don't tell her because it is a surprise. We built it over the course of several days. It was supposed to take 23 hours, and I think it took me a lot longer than that because I had to do some after work, some uh, uh, during the weekend, etc. But regardless, fighting the rain Trying to build this playset in the rain, you know, it's got swings, it's got two slides, it's got a rock wall and whatnot. Of course, you'll need some good supervision, but that's the fun part about having a baby is supervising them while they play. Well, it's just been annoying. It's been aggravating. But you know, I have to say that if this were summertime and it was extremely hot and dry, we would not dare complain about one inch of rain. So even though it may be annoying that we've had a week's worth of rain all at one go, We can't really complain. I mean, I think if we only complain in the bad times and we don't think about and be gracious for the good times when we do have ample resources, ample moisture, ample rainfall, then I think we're doing a disservice. I think that we have to appreciate what we are given and work with it. And that's why when you're looking at your landscape after these heavy rainfalls, look for those wet sites, look for those wet spots and make sure that when... Uh, when we do have heavy moments of rain, that the plants you're putting in those sites are going to perform very well. Now, of course, at the nursery, we carry many plants that can handle wet feet, as we call it. And so uh, uh, if you're looking for something like that, you can always ask us uh, down there at the nursery, or you can send us a question here to the show at NewSouthernGarden.com. And, of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll be glad to answer your questions at the end of this month so that we can sort of catch up with all these questions we've had. Okay, so again, like I was saying, I do want to go back for a brief moment about the playset because, yes, it's so exciting that my baby's turning two, you know, and it's, can't believe it's been two years now, but the play set. I think that if you have young children or maybe if you're a grandparent and have young grandchildren, then some kind of playset is a good addition to the garden. At first, we think of, you know, these play sets, they sort of stick out like a sore thumb, they uh that that, it's nice it's it's pretty don't get me wrong it's got brown wood and tan wood and then the the uh, slides and the swings and all they're they're like green plastic and rubber and whatever and so it does look nice but of course it's like how do you deal with with that how do you well i think that first of all a play set is quintessential american you know whether it was like I had when I grew up, uh, just a little A frame swing uh, with a couple of swings on it for me and my sister, it was just a metal pole uh, uh, rig, you know. Well, no matter what kind of little plaything or play toy, we, ne- we can and we should create places in our gardens for recreation, especially. Especially if we have young children, Uh, whether it's your own children, grandchildren, or neighbors' children. You know, let the children play in the garden. And of course, you can put things around these play sets, around these recreation areas. You can put evergreen shrubs so that all year long, whether the kids are playing in the spring or the summer or the fall or the winter, because they surely will at all seasons. There's some nice, beautiful plants. Now, of course, you can use things that flower, but be careful because things that flower, or rather, things that would attract butterflies, they're also going to attract bees, right? And so, anything that you put around the landscape, if you, or around your playset, if it's something that's going to attract wildlife, that's okay. But just remember sometimes children and adults can be allergic to uh, bee stings or uh, wasp stings or, or whatever critters are trying to fly around your play set. So I just want to give that as, a, as, as an idea when you're doing play sets in the, in the uh, garden that you make sure that you you can put, whether it's you know just evergreen hollies or gardenias. See, gardenias are great because they have so many petals that most critters don't care to fly around them, okay? Now, roses. Roses would be a bad idea because... Insects love those, but they also have what? They also have thorns. And when kids are playing, they're not necessarily looking at all their surroundings. What are they looking at? They're looking at the swing. They're looking at the slide. They're looking at uh, their brother, their sister, their cousin, their neighbor, their friend, whoever's playing with them. And they may fall into a shrub with thorns. They may uh, fall into a shrub that has uh, bees who are just receiving some nectar and some nutrition from those beautiful plants. So again, definitely, You can integrate plant material and you can integrate things that look beautiful around play sets to maybe work them into the landscape a bit. And that's what I plan to do. Probably a small ornamental tree off to the side, maybe a small tree that they can climb as it gets bigger. (laughs) I don't know if kids climb trees these days. It sounds kind of dangerous, but heck, I guess it was dangerous back when we were kids too. So keep that in mind when you're doing a play set, just something that has been in my life for this past week working on a play set and i was thinking the whole time how can we make sure our play sets look pretty but also are safe for kids to be around especially with plants that might have thorns uh, be poisonous <laughs> or attract small critters okay gang when we get back we're going to answer your questions so hang on tight now I'm lost in the desert. we got a big show today because today is our Q&A week for the month of September. <laughs> uh, now, if you've been around with a program for any amount of time, you know that we answer your questions at the end of the month. We love for you to send us questions at NewSouthernGarden.com and our Facebook page and Instagram page. And of course, we collect them at the end of the month and we answer them. Well, of course, we haven't had a program in the past couple of weeks. Of course, this is the fall season. Fall season's great for planting and gardening, and that's why we are doing what we're doing. But of course, fall is also that time when those individuals throw a pigskin around and put helmets on their head. That's right. College football is in the air as well as gardening. And so, as long as UGA doesn't have an early game, well, we will talk about gardening. But we, so in other words, we've missed our last uh, Saturday of the month to give you answers to your questions but that's okay. How about we do, what is this, the second Saturday of this month? (laughs) Why not? But of course, we will answer more of your questions later on this month, so be sure to do just like the individuals have done today, and send us your questions, whether it's at NewSouthernGarden.com or, of course, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Send us a smoke signal, and uh, hopefully I'll be looking at the sky and, and receive that message. But regardless, I do want to jump right into the first question today is from Eric. Now, Eric is gardening in southern Louisiana, and he says, I'm in a different part of the country from you, but maybe you can help. I hope I can, Eric. I never seem to have success growing beets. That's right, beets. I've tried native soil, soil I enriched with sand and compost, straight premium topsoil, premium topsoil, and sand rich soil, poor soil. I'm going to try adding bone meal. Any thoughts? Okay. Now, Eric, I'm not sure exactly what is is uh, the situation here, whether your seeds, your beet seeds are not germinating, which, of course, is the first problem that I would think we might be having. Maybe they are germinating, but they're dying out early. Maybe they're germinating, they're growing, the tops look pretty good, but the roots the beet part itself, the beet root, the part you want to eat and consume. Maybe it's not performing well and growing as it should. So I'm not exactly sure. All I know, is, you said, I just never have success growing beets. So what I thought I would do is treat your question like I've done with so many other uh, vegetable crops and go through some uh, facts and growing tips and ideas for them. So let's start off with the beet. The beet. Did you know that beets are in the same family as spinach and swiss chard. Now I don't grow too much Swiss chard, but we do have some at the nursery because it's quite ornamental. Certain varieties have beautiful stems of uh, different shades and colors. But Swiss chard, spinach, and beets are all in the same family of plants, commonly called the goosefoot. The goosefoot family. How about that? Goosefoot. So you're growing beets, you're growing Swiss chard, you're growing spinach, <laughs> you're growing goose feet. Okay, now, beets are usually grouped into two main categories uh, based on the part of the plant that is edible. Now, there are certain beets that are grown for their fleshy roots. Uh, They belong to the crassa or garden group. Let's go with garden, but you could call them crassas. Now, those do include yellow beets as well, the common table beet, the red beet. Um, There are another group of beets, And these groups are grown for their leafy vegetables. Now, that is grown in the cicla group, or the leafy beet group, as well as Swiss chard. Okay, so whether you're growing your beets for shoots, or whether you're growing beets for roots, you're growing two different groups of beets. Did you also know that the beet is native to Europe, North Africa, and Western Asia? Now... The ancient people, they knew about beets. We know they did, but they did not necessarily cultivate it until the third century AD, right? So after uh, the time of Christ. Now, the first extensive records of beet production. Came about in the year eighteen hundred. Uh, excuse me. Uh, the first recorded beet cultivation came about in the sixteenth century, so the fifteen hundreds. But then the Germans and French became very interested in beets around the eighteen hundreds, and since then, since the eighteen hundreds, many different types and varieties of beets, both in leafy group and root group, have been developed. Now, how can you eat beets? Well, of course, you can eat beets boiled, pickled. You can use them served in salads. You can serve them in salads. And, of course, the tops of the beets can be used just like spinach, whether it's leafy greens for salad, or you can boil them and cook them, maybe make some kind of, what is it, spinach dip? Isn't there some kind of spinach dip? Oh, that's probably pretty tasty. Okay, well, let's talk a bit about the beet plant itself, now that we've talked about its history. The beet plant, it's a herbaceous biennial, but normally it's grown as an annual. Now, remember, a herbaceous biennial means that it never forms woody characteristics like trees and shrubs, but it does live through two years' worth of growth, and then it flowers. Okay, so depending on when you sow your seed, you will have a certain timing of flowering as well. The first year, you're really developing two things, the leaf growth and the root growth. But then in the second year, those roots and leaves are so mature that they're not going to grow much more, but the plant is going to send out a flower stalk. And that flower stalk, of course, is where you can harvest seed from after those flowers mature. Now... The edible portion of the root consists of these alternating circular bands of what we call conducting and storage tissues. So whenever you cut open a uh, beet, you'll see rings, concentric rings. One ring is a ring of conducting materials, which means that uh, things uh, like nutrition and water are sent from the root to the stem. And then you'll have a band of what we call storage tissues, which is where sugar is stored. That's how you're going to have those tasty, tasty uh, beet roots. Now, you may see a contrast in color between those alternating bands. That's known as zoning. Uh, I didn't really know that until I started doing some more research on beets, but zoning is this alternating band so whenever you see varieties that vary greatly in that zoning pattern some may have more conducting tissues and less sugar tissues or storage tissues well those may not be as sweet not 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 as tasty but if you have zoning patterns where the sugar or the storage areas are larger then of course that is going to be a sweet beat now, how about we talk a little bit about the color? The color that develops in these red beets, you know, it stains your hands. It will stain your clothes if you cut it and uh, get it onto clothing. That, of course, is most responsible for a color um, or rather a pigmentation called uh, betanine. Betanine or betanine. I don't know how you want to say it. But regardless, that is one of the reasons why people grow and consume beets. I'm sure people even consume beets as a supplement from the, uh, from the health part not the health, the health food stores, you know, for that betanine. Very good for you. Now, of course, we've already talked about their life cycle, that these plants are biennials, which means that the first year they grow their shoots and roots, and the second year they really grow their flowers and their fruits, which, of course, would be the seeds that you're going to uh, collect. But let's talk about climactic and cultural requirements, because that's really Eric's question is, what do these plants need in order to grow well? And since we don't know what kind of problem he's having, we just know he's not having success, then let's be sure, Eric, that we get you everything you need to know. So beets are mainly a cool season crop that can tolerate mild frosts and light freezes. So in the south, particularly where you are, Eric, in southern Louisiana, moderate Or mild frosts, light freezes. You can probably grow these all winter long. It's fine. We can do it up here for the most part with maybe a little protection in the higher parts of the mountains. But if your problem is germination, I do want to mention that the seeds for beets, they will germinate over a wide range of soil temperatures from 40 degrees Fahrenheit to 85 degrees Fahrenheit. But the optimal, the optimum germination is going to occur between soil temperatures of 65 and 75. So, Eric, you may invest in a kind of, uh, well, cheap soil thermometer. That may come in handy. You can also check, usually, your soil temperatures online at your Land Grant College weather station. They usually tell you for the closest city to you, wherever that weather station is, what the soil temperature is at certain depths. Right now, the soil temperature is still warm. So, I don't think... German, uh, sorry, soil temperature is a problem for your germination. But when we get back, more about beets and how to make Eric successful in growing these precious winter fruits. Be right back.
0: Stories!
1: well gang uh, welcome back to new southern garden i think i misspoke on my way out last segment i said that uh, we're going to help eric grow these delicious fruits these wintertime fruits well beets are not fruits beets the part we consume are roots so let's help eric uh, grow wintertime roots a little a little easier and better more successful Now, of course, beets will produce fruits, okay? Probably nothing you and I would want to eat because after they flower in their second year, if they're allowed to grow over the course of two years, being biennials, they'll produce flowers in the second year of their growth. And those flowers will lead to little tiny fruits which contain seeds. And of course, those seeds are what you could either save and grow more of those blessed beets or you can purchase those seeds online at a local nursery wherever you want to buy your seeds. So I did misspeak. Beets the part we eat, whether it's the leaves or the roots, are not fruits. <laughs> they are definitely vegetables. <laughs> okay. Let me mention that in order to answer Egg's question, I've done some extensive research to to a degree because I don't I've never really grown beets and I'll tell you why I don't grow beets because personally I don't like beets I just don't like their flavor I'm sorry I've tried I've tried pickled I've tried cooked and stewed I just can't do it there's something sort of metallic or tangy that I just can't do maybe it's a texture thing too anyhow maybe I just haven't eaten the best cooked beets. I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody who really knows how to cook them could change my mind. But by mentioning that, I want to remind you that when it comes to deciding what you should grow, whether it's in your spring vegetable garden, summer, or whether it's your fall and winter vegetable garden, the, the biggest factor determining what you should grow should be, do you eat it? Is it something you want to use in your kitchen? Is it something you want to snack on? You know, my mother, she she was allergic to tomatoes. She could eat them, but they, they uh, you know, kind of... Uh, Put little spots on her hands, little red spots and and whelps. So her skin, at least, she was allergic uh, to tomatoes, maybe the lycopene. I don't know what it was. But uh, if you're allergic to something, don't grow it because you're not going to eat it. (laughs) But if you like something, then those are the things you should start growing. And the same in the ornamental world. If you like the way a certain plant looks or a certain color flower, certain texture of foliage, then you should grow it. That's the biggest determining factor. You can do all this research and study into designing and uh, how do you lay out your uh, vegetable gardens. You can do all that. But, of course, you've got to start with what kind of things are you going to eat and enjoy. And Eric from Louisiana, he likes his beets, but he's having trouble growing them. So before we left off for the quick break, we did mention that in order for beets seeds to germinate, they can germinate from temperatures as low as 40, as high as 85. But those extremes are not the ideal. The ideal soil temperature to germinate seeds for beets would be between 65 degrees Fahrenheit and 75 degrees Fahrenheit. That's only a 10 degree gap. I suspect that some soils are probably still 65 throughout the southeast. I didn't check it this week as far as what our area's soil temperature is, but I'm sure it's still pretty high. Because most winter long, the soil will be about 55 in our zone. Down in Louisiana, probably much higher. So I think you're fine on soil temperature, Eric. Now, although beets do grow well in warm weather, uh, the highest quality occurs in cool temperatures. Now we're talking air temperatures. That would be between 55 to 70 degrees. So we can, for a certain period of time in our zone, do pretty well over winter. Once we germinate our seedlings and get them in the ground, when the dead of winter comes... You'll see that the beets are going to slow down. They, some may suffer, but mostly they'll just sort of maybe be sad for a while until warmer weather comes. So again, you don't need to have extreme cold for beets. You can't do that. Uh, But if you have cool, you'll be okay. So I think you'll be all right, Eric. I think you'll be all right as far as growing them over winter even. Now, uh, let's see, soil. The soil requirements, and we've talked about carrots, soil requirements for beets is similar to carrots. Heavy clay soils or soils that crust, of course, reduce the seedling emergence. So you do mention, Eric, and I don't know if your native soil is heavy clay or not because I'm not familiar with the southern part of Louisiana. But of course, in the Piedmont where we are, yes, we have heavy clay. So that's not ideal because the seedlings will be hard to push through. Uh, But beets are sensitive to very, very acidic soils. OK, our soils here in the south, or rather in the Piedmont are acidic. I don't know of your soils, Eric, in Louisiana, but just check your pH and make sure that that pH is adjusted to 6.5 or higher for maximum yields. If you are growing beets in soil that is quite acidic, that could be one of your problems, Eric, is that your soil is not at the right pH level for beets. Uh, Which, of course, reduces certain availability of nutrition. And naturally, certain plants, particularly because this is from that part of the world, maybe close to Mediterranean and as far as Europe goes, uh, soils over there are not quite like our soils. So, those plants are just naturally used to growing in those more alkaline soils. But there is something else that I want to draw to your attention. Um, As far as nutrition goes... Make sure that uh, you are giving uh, plenty adequate nutrition. Remember that you're trying to grow a root, so higher phosphorus and higher potassium is a good idea. Some nitrogen because you do need nitrogen to produce those leaves. The leaves are going to help support and grow a strong, large root system. And of course, your root system is why you're growing your beet. So you do want a probably well-balanced fertilizer. But here's what you really need to look into perhaps more than any other vegetable crop, beets are high consumers of micronutrients. Okay, remember, when we talked about soil, this was years ago, so definitely check out NewSouthernGarden.com for our discussion on soil fertility and nutrition. Years ago, I think it was probably that first year, we talked about, Macronutrients and micronutrients. I don't think we've revisited this topic in a while. Macronutrients are nutrients like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, oxygen, hydrogen, certain things that plants use in large doses. Okay? Now, micronutrients, on the other hand, are things like boron and calcium and copper and molybdenum. I can never say that one manganese and magnesium those things are micronutrients they're important it's just the plants use those in small doses or small amounts okay so when we say macronutrients we don't mean important no no no. and we, we say micro we don't mean unimportant no we mean large quantities of for macronutrients and plants use smaller quantities of micronutrients with that being said The the beet plant is a heavy consumer, a heavy eater of micronutrients, in particular, especially boron. Boron. Now, a deficiency of boron in your beet plant may result in a physiological disorder called black spot. Now, that makes the roots unfit for canning and even fresh markets. And it could, of course, even cause the plant to be uh, not so healthy just in general. So, again, Eric, I don't know what you're seeing, but so far we've talked about germination. We've talked about, you know, soil temperature, air temperature. uh, Soil pH has got to be a bit more alkaline rather than acidic. And now we're talking about micronutrients. Micronutrients could be a problem. Uh, Deficiency in boron in particular could be a, an, an issue. And you, of course, how, how do you correct this? Well, you provide the plant with boron. Well, sometimes <laughs> you will find small amounts of boron in general purpose fertilizers. Just be sure when you're looking on the label or the back of the can or back of the box of that fertilizer product, Look at all the micronutrients that are in there and see if boron is listed. If boron is not listed, then you can use, what is it called? It's called a hundred mule borax. No, that's not right. Hundred mule borax. Anyhow, borax. Go into the grocery store. Yes, you can use borax, which is a cleaning agent. But borax is a form of boron or has a form of boron that plants can use. And it's appropriate. We've been using 100 mule. I think that's what it's called. 100 mule, boron, borax. Anyhow, borax, there are probably several different uh, providers or manufacturers of that. But you can use borax. Now, you do want to be sure that you have your soil tested, Eric, because you may have boron in the soil. But you can test by taking your uh, your planting media to your land-grant college, university. They should have the uh, soil testing sites or just call your county extension agent, rather. Your county extension agent and he can test for this because you don't want to apply too much borax or boron. You don't want to apply too much nitrogen, really. But we do want to make sure we have enough of these nutrients for the plant to use. Now, other important micronutrients, because like I said, even though uh, the beet plant needs heavy amounts or more amounts of boron than most plants, micronutrients are very important for it. Things like iron, manganese, and copper, and molybdenum. I think I said it right for a change. But uh, those are important as well. Again, usually plants need small doses of these, but if they're absent, if your soil does not have these micronutrients, then your beet plants may not be very successful. All right, now, as far as producing this crop, I wanna make just a few more notes. Of course, we normally propagate this plant by seed. We just plant the seed uh, in the soil can be usually planted about one half to one inch deep. The seed itself it can be planted in rows 12 to 24 inches apart. And of course, the uh, if you're growing large amounts of them by the acre, you could use up to eight, to 8 to 10 pounds of seed per acre. If you're doing a small bed, then you don't have to worry so much about that. Uh, but regardless, you can... Uh, Plant these in high-density plantings for maximum yields, but overcrowding can result in small roots with flat sides where they start touching each other from being overcrowded. So if you're looking for larger roots, just uh, thin them out. Give them space as they come about and make sure they have, well, depending on how large of a beet you're looking for, make sure they have plenty of room for those shoulders of the beets to grow uh, in a circle, 360, right? So if you want larger beets, Give them maybe four-inch diameter uh, or five-inch diameter spacing. Uh, Hand thinning is a way to do it. You could use a hoe, of course. You can pluck them out, pull them out. Uh, But regardless, the interesting thing is that beets can be planted four to six weeks before the average last frost in the spring. So even if you can't get them in the fall and try to get a crop ASAP, you can continue planting these beets later on throughout the uh, winter, uh, four to six weeks before the last frost date. And for us here in Zone 7, that would be about, let's see, four weeks before would be about the middle of March, and six weeks before, of course, would be about the first of March. So, Like I said, I'm probably not going to grow beets. I might grow them now that I've learned more about them and discussed with you about, uh, hopefully, how we can solve Eric's problems. Uh, But I don't know. Maybe I should grow a few. I may not use them, but I'm sure somebody I know would love to eat them. So, Eric, I hope that some of these uh, tips and ideas as far as soil temperature, air temperature, soil pH, and, of course, the absence of micronutrients, hopefully you can find a solution to uh, your beet problem. Let us know how it goes, though, Eric, if you adjust or change something. Let us know how it goes because we would love to hear if you were successful with your beats. When we get back, we're going to Kentucky. That's right, our friends to the north and the south. We'll see you in a second. Alright gang, well of course we are here in the last segment of our show today, and it's sort of a bittersweet thing, because I know that at the end of the show, of course, you'll be able to get out and start growing things, you'll be able to get out, hopefully, you know, with, you know, with, with a, been having a rough week with weather, Maybe you'll be able to uh, enjoy this weekend uh, with not too many side effects, but of course, it does come down to the last line of our show. And that's just uh, the reality. We haven't been together for a couple of weeks because I'm going to remind you one last time that, of course, when uh, the fall comes, so does those uh, (laughs) those football games. And with that in mind, the football games. uh, I think we've got a good three weeks, is what the uh, Mr. Producer is telling us. So we'll be able to enjoy some gardening for the next three weeks, then have a break or so. But. Today, we've been answering your questions. This is our Q&A week for September since we've been uh, pushed back a bit because of football. No problem, though, we've been answering questions about growing beets, and we appreciate Eric. He's down in the southern part of Louisiana, but he's listening to the program uh, via online, and he did ask about beets, so we give him some ideas and tips. There's one last little bit that I want to uh, address that I should have addressed. In his questions, uh, Eric says he's going to try adding bone meal to his uh, beet production to see if that helps. Look, uh, it's, it's no problem. Bone meal is an organic fertilizer that uh, does have a little bit of nitrogen, but really uh, heavy amounts of phosphorus. And I think that's fine, Eric. Using uh, bone meal as a fertilizer is great. It's going to improve your soil health. But also, it's going to provide your beet plants with more phosphorus, which are going to sort of help stimulate root systems. So like I said in uh, the discussion last segment, definitely... Definitely, using something that is higher in phosphorus and potassium will help stimulate root growth and overall health. But, of course, having a bit of nitrogen, which bone meal does, is not a bad idea. So, I think you can use bone meal, but I'm more concerned about those micronutrients that you need to source. Okay, next question, because we are running out of time, of course, is we go to Kentucky. We go to Kentucky, uh, Zone 6B. Thanks for including that, Martha. Uh, Martha in Kentucky, Zone 6B. She says, Hi, I just listened to the Perennial Gardening Series, so thanks for listening online. Uh, Martha... I loved it. Thank you so much for putting all of that together. Glad to hear you enjoy perennial gardening, Martha. Uh, We are moving to a new house next spring, and I want to take all of my perennial plants with me, of course. (laughs) Yes, I currently have some snapdragons, echinacea, and coreopsis. I also have some flowering tobacco that somehow came back after last year. I have an herb bed that I'd also also like to transplant. There's oregano, mint, rosemary, lavender, sage, etc., Everything is one to two years old. And of course, she mentions uh, she's in zone B, uh, zone 6B in Kentucky. My question is, should I wait to dig them up in March and April and put them right back in the ground at our new house? Or should I get them out of the ground this fall? Put them in pots in my cold frame, then plant them in when we move. The cold frame is not too big. I'm thinking the latter because you mentioned fall being the best time to transplant and separate, but I didn't know how potting it through winter would go. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so glad I found the podcast. Uh, I will be a regular listener from now on. Thanks, Martha. We appreciate that message and your question let's jump straight to the point, Martha. Yes, you are moving houses, so you've got to take these precious plant babies with you. After all, you've had them for one to two years, just like I've had Eden Rose. I couldn't live without her. She's my two-year-old daughter, right? So I've got to get out here, and uh, we've got to take our plant babies with us. So I don't think, Martha, that you've got any problem doing some now and doing some in the spring. Okay, you could wait. If you have time in the spring, I know you'll be moving, so you'll have to pack up your house and move boxes and, re- and unpack and all of that. We did that last year, so I know that's hectic. So if you don't think you'll have time to do everything in the spring, you can do some now, especially since you have a cold frame. Because I'm going to uh, r- mention the reason I would wait on some now. The reason I would wait on some now is because if we are going to have a winter that is wet and cold, if the soil is cold when you do these activities and the soil is wet when you do this transplanting or digging out, you are damaging root systems, okay? And if you put those damaged root systems in a pot just out in the exposed elements, those pots will stay cold and wet and they'll freeze and those those damaged roots may not heal so well and you may have higher rates of loss due to rotting and things like that but if you've got a cold frame, and Martha, you do, you say it's not too big, so you may not want to fill it up with a whole bunch of pots, but you could take some things to alleviate having to do all the plants in the spring. You could take those pots now while it's still fairly warm, put them in with some nice potting mix into a pot, and then place those pots in the cold frame, and that cold frame will protect the plants from Uh, high, sorry, from low temperatures, lower temperatures. Now, most cold frames are probably going to uh, be as cold as it is outside sometime over the night in the winter, you see. So it's not a long-lived solution as far as, without adding extra heat, uh, your cold frame will be as cold as it is outside, but not for as long as it would be if that pot was left outside. So The only reason I would say, uh, Martha, to do a lot of plants now, this time of year, is if you don't think you'll have the time to dig them out before the new homeowners show up, okay? Now, the reason I would encourage uh, you to move things in the spring, late winter, early spring, directly where they need to go, is that the soil will be will start becoming warmer rather like now the soil is getting cooler but the soil will be warming up and air temperatures will be warming up and the plants are transitioning into a different kind of growth pattern right now the plant is going sort of uh, kind of reverting to the root system but you'll be damaging the root system right now if you damage the root system in the spring uh, the plant is in growth mode. In spring, the plant is going to grow leaves, it's going to grow new roots. So they'll be quicker, much quicker to recover in the spring. And perennials uh, take roots so quickly that usually if you plant perennials in the spring, it's no problem. Now shrubs, they have larger root systems, they take longer to get those roots out into the ground, and you may have to water them. Well, with perennials, you see that they're smaller plants so they have a smaller root system. Naturally, it doesn't take them as long. So, yes, uh, I would wait, though, for my herbs. I would wait on spring for sure. Whether you do some perennials now, that's fine. Uh, you know, snapdragons, probably not a problem. They like the cooler weather. Echognacea, you may wait on. Coreopsis, you may wait on. But uh, oregano, rosemary, lavender, sages, these are all Mediterranean plants. And they are not going to like wet, cold feet by any means. So if you do uh, do any herbs, be sure they're protected in your cold frame over winter. But otherwise, if you've got time, Martha, in the spring, just dig it all out when you're moving and take it with you. Plant it directly where you want it at your new place, and you should see wonderful growth. And while you've got them dug up, if your echinacea are large masses... Feel free to divide them. If your Coryopsis is in large masses, feel free to divide those. Make more plant babies to take with you to your new place. Congratulations, Martha, for getting, uh, getting into another season phase of life. We appreciate your question. And if you have questions for us for later this month, feel free to send them to us online at NewSouthernGarden.com on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, for New Southern Garden, my name is Nathan Wilson, here to answer your questions and give you inspiration in gardening. Uh, we hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you in uh, one week's time.
0: Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350
1: for Nathan Wilson's News Southern Garden Show.